Yay, again, I'm glad. Did I just turn this on? Mm -hmm. Ah, okay. I thought I had it on the whole time, and now it's, okay, now it's on. Well. <laughs> Love you too, Gene. <laughs> It's a good thing you're a friend of my wife. <laughs> That's all I got to say. <laughs> uh, hey, what you just witnessed, you will probably witness again in a few moments as we read Bible verses. Kind of a friendly jab. You'll see what I mean shortly. Hey, we've been talking about how Jesus invites everyone to his party. Invites everybody to come to be a part of his kingdom and part of his family. And he welcomes everyone who accepts the invitation. There are no bouncers at the door, except that sometimes people volunteer to be bouncers. And then they get in trouble. You're going to find that out today as we, in the, in the uh, events that we look at today in Jesus' life. The people following Jesus uh, often shocked uh, the proper rule-keeping religious people in that day, and uh, sometimes even today, there's a little like, whoa, what was that? Who are they? Oh, what are they doing there? Uh, in a culture that ignored women, Jesus commissioned Mary Magdalene to be, as his first resurrection mes messenger. Even the early church fathers referred to her as the apostle to the apostles, the sent one to the sent ones. Jesus authorizes the least anticipated. In fact, one of the first arguments against the resurrection and against the factual histor historical facts of Christianity and the resurrection was that women were the ones who witnessed it. The women were the first ones to talk about it. So obviously it can't be true. That was the culture's response. By the way, that's also one of the first reasons, one of the foundational reasons for believing that the gospel writers didn't make up the story. Because if you're going to make up a story to make other people believe something, you're not going to put in something you know that they're not going to believe. You're not going to start with something you know everybody's going to go, well, that can't be true. You're not going to start by saying, women told us this. When you know the first thing they're going to say is, well, you can't believe a bunch of women. They're all hysterical. You would have started with Peter and John going to the tomb and finding it empty and finding Jesus. Later, when he said, they would have left the women out of it completely. If you were making up the story. But they didn't make up the story. They told the story the way it happened. Oh, I'm going to stop preaching that story because we're going to keep going on some others. By including the traitorous tax collector Matthew in his inner circle, Jesus displayed his mission and ours, and that is he came to invite outsiders, the people on the fringe of society, not just the ins religious insiders. His invitation and welcome extended, though, beyond the Jewish 
community and beyond his Jewish nation, he went so far as to include both past and present enemies of the Jewish people. And I'm pretty sure that left his disciples scratching their heads. Okay, I, it really pushed my envelope when we bring Matthew in. Just going to pause for a moment. So in, in the 12, the, the, inner, the inner, inner circle of disciples, the 12 disciples, one of them was a zealot. We don't, let me explain what a zealot is. Freedom fighter, rebel, the zealots were Israel's underground warriors who were trying their best to figure out a way to get Rome out of their territory. They trained and fought to assassinate Romans and anybody who cooperated with them. So here's Jesus, he calls Simon. I want you to do my new disciple, Matthew. He used to be a tax collector. You're to love him as a brother. You know I'd kill my brother because if he was a tax collector, don't you? Okay, so let me reword that, Simon. You're to love him the way I love you. That's night into a possible Jesus. I'll help you, son. I'll help you. Can you imagine Matthew sleeping with one eye open all the time? Where's that Simon guy at? I think he took a knife off the table last night. Hey, this is the group. Jesus went so far as to welcome interruptions to their vacation time. That's what we're going to talk about today in uh, Matthew chapter 15, starting at verse 21. It tells us that Jesus left that place. This is a common thing for Jesus. Jesus was always on the move, it seems like. He'd go someplace, he'd be there for a little bit, and then he'd move. He started that at the very beginning of his ministry. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He went outside of Israel's, the Jewish territory. He went into Gentile territory. Mark reports in his record of Jesus' life that he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence a secret. He went there to get away for a break, and he couldn't, he wanted, you know, just wanted to be alone. You ever want to just get away? In fact, it's, Mark says, as soon as she heard about it, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came. That's where Matthew picks it up. Matthew 15, 22. He says, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. His disciples. Now, from, I just picture in your mind, 
Who, who did you picture in your mind when, the, when I said his disciples? For most of my life, I've pictured 12 angry men who wanted to be left alone and wanted this woman to just go away. I read one Bible commentator who, who gave them a whole lot more credit than I do. He said that they, they wanted Jesus to do for her what she was asking so that she would go away. That's not what I get out of this. They wanted Jesus to send her away. Just get rid of her. But here's something else. Jesus was a rebel rabbi. He had women disciples. Mary Magdalene and other women were following him. It wasn't just the 12. We sometimes think that those were the only ones following him, but he had other disciples following him, including the women. There were women standing there who wanted her to go away too. So ladies, all of you who were going, oh, those dirty, nasty men, how dare them do that to him? Just wanted you to feel included. His disciples probably men and women, what they we're saying to you, send this dirty, rotten Gentile woman away. Get rid of this slum, the scum. You know, she's bothering us. So Jesus turns to the woman. He finally answers her because his disciples are griping and complaining. They wanted this Gentile interruption to leave. And so Jesus says in verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And so this leaves me with this question. What kept this mother from taking what appears to be a no as the answer to her plea? And I think there must have been something in Jesus' tone of voice or a look on his face. <clears throat> kind of like the interaction between Gene and I just a few moments ago when we were laughing and jabbing each other. The tone and the look when we say things with makes all the difference in the world. Something that sounds kind of harsh can be said in a way that isn't harsh, depending on how it's said. And when you read it, you can't kick the tone and you can't see the look on the face. We just don't get that. But based on what she does, I'm pretty sure there was a smile on his face and a twinkle in his eye as she spoke to him and compassion that robbed those words of an insult and a sense of bitterness. And so instead of going away, she came to him, knelt at his feet and said, Lord, help me. 
And he replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, there were two words he could have used for dogs, by the way. One is, are the dogs that roam the streets? We have animal control to take care of them. They did not. And then there are the dogs or the little puppies that we take, keep in our house. Our pets. And he used the word for pets. Not the street dogs. Not the wild dogs. He said, so he's basically saying, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their puppies. And again, there must have been something in the way he said it because her response is, yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs, even the little puppies eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus goes, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Pastor Timothy Keller writes, isn't that amazing? She doesn't take offense. She doesn't stand on her rights. She says, all right, I may not have a place at the table, but there's more than enough on the table for everyone in the world, and I want mine now. I want my crumbs now. She's wrestling with Jesus in the most respectful way. And she's not going to take no for an answer. He says, I love what she's doing. He says, in Western cultures, we don't have anything like this kind of assertiveness. We only have the assertion of our rights. We do not know how to contend unless we're standing up for our rights, standing up for our dignity and our goodness and saying something like, this is what I'm owed. But this woman is not doing that at all. This is rightless assertiveness, something that particularly we Americans know very little about. She's not saying, Lord, give me what I deserve on the basis of my goodness. She's saying, Lord, give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness. And I need it now. So what kept this mother from taking what appears to be a no as the answer to her plea? It seems to me, at least, that her persistent perseverance must have been powered by the fact that she was persuaded that Jesus was her daughter's only hope. She was believed she, that she believed that not only was he her daughter's only hope, that he was willing to help her. He was willing to intervene on their behalf. The disciples tried to be bouncers at the door. And Jesus welcomed her in. <clears throat> Prayer for this mother was no ritual. It was not something she just did when she came to Jesus. It was an outpouring of passionate desire. Uh, 
the, the, the hopes and dreams of her soul. Uh, somehow she felt like she could not, must not, would not take no for an answer. This man could save her daughter and she would not leave till he did. The sermon and the sentence for today is tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a believer. Tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a believer. Power is released in response to passionate, heartfelt prayer. Healing prayer, power, healing power is released. Liberating power is released in response to your prayers. Transforming power is released. Resurrection power is released in or through prayer. Comfort and peace-giving power is released. Prayer power is released far more than you can ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. Tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a believer. James said it this way, the prayer of a righteous person has great effect. even if it's a Gentile mother. But the disciples just wanted to go away. So, mothers and fathers, <clears throat> grandfathers and grandmothers. Some of you are great-grandmothers and great-grandfathers. Not sure we have any great-greats in here yet, but maybe. If you're in that category too, I'm going to include you. You and I all know we live in a world full of trouble. So, What torments your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, your great-greats? See, in our, in our society, in our culture, we tend to look to scientists and governors and presidents and legislators and judges and justices and other experts to solve the problems we face. We just get the right people in office. Everything is going to be fine. Look, it didn't take me long. I, I, I have, I'm old enough to have white gray hair, so I can tell you that it doesn't matter who sits in what office. They can't fix nothing. I'm sorry, that's, that's poor grammar. They can't fix anything. I can guarantee you this, they can make it worse. Oh no, but you don't understand. My guy, no, your guy can't. Your gal can't. They will make it worse. They've been doing it for a long, long time. I don't care who it is. The scientists can't fix it. They just keep making it worse. We think we come up with solutions and then years down the line we find out that the solution was actually making things worse. 
one of these days we're going to finally figure out that our thinking we can solve our problems is our problem. And here's the issue. We need to come to the place where that mother was. We need to come to grips with the fact that Jesus is our only hope. Now, there are people who do not get that, and they won't get it for a long time. Hopefully, you and I, who are followers of Jesus, will get it now. And it's time for us to pray like we believe it. We need to start praying like that mother. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. And I will not take no for an answer. Give us crumbs, give them now. We will not go until we get them. <clears throat> so how are you doing with persistent perseverance in your prayers? We live in a microwave, Instacart world. <coughs> we want answers immediately. So persistent perseverance is hard when it comes to praying. So how are you doing with that? Are you persuaded that Jesus is your child, your grandchild, your great-grandchild, your world's only hope? How convinced are you? How sure are you that he's willing to intervene? Tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a believer. Your prayer doesn't need to be long and elegant. It can be short and to the point. The, the mother's first prayer was her longest prayer. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us, on me. The next one where she fell at his feet was, Lord, please help me. Not long, not elegant, not eloquent, not, not, not wordy. Just to the point. Her most eloquent thing was was like, you know, but the, the puppies get to eat the crumbs. That's that was the biggest thing. Her whole prayer could be summed up in like three, four sentences. Your passionate, heartfelt prayer releases God's power, far more power than, than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. We don't have, I don't think we have even begun to scratch the surface of our ideas of what he can and wants to do. Because we go and we pray and we maybe pray two or three or four times and go, eh, I guess not. We give up. It is time to believe, to pray like we know it's true. That he will release his power when we keep on praying. Keep on praying. 
and refuse to take no for an answer when we know he wants to intervene on our behalf. We may not know what we think that he needs to do in between our request and his answer, but we're going to pray until it happens. And I suggest we start right now. King Jesus, I know you want to give me, you want to give us what we don't deserve based on your goodness. And I need it now. That's what grace is all about. You giving me what I don't deserve. You giving us what we don't deserve. You giving us families, our world, what we don't deserve. We need it now. We need, we need crumbs. We need huge chunks of help. Holy Spirit, help us to ask for what Jesus prays for right now. As he prays for us and for our families and for our world, show us what to pray for. Hear the names of our children and our grandchildren as we pray for them right now. As we just give their names and speak their names to you, Lord. Hear them. Meet their needs as only you can. Meet the needs that we don't even know about. Release your healing power, your liberating power, your transforming power. Almighty loving God, release your power in ways that are so much greater and so far above than anything we could ever imagine or guess or request or even dream. Surprise us with your powerful grace. In the name of Jesus and for the glory of your name. Amen. Again, I want to say thanks to those folks who are online. Thanks for connecting with us. If you haven't already joined the uh, Champions of Hope Facebook group. I encourage you to I invite you to do that at least. Um, the link is in the description of the event and uh, get an opportunity to receive some unique content, opportunities to uh, make connections with other people who are on the mission of infusing uh, people with the hope of Jesus. Well, as we mentioned earlier, Mary Magdalene was the sent one to the sent ones, and you all. And I, I'd say you all because, well, in English, there's got to, the only way to tell the difference between you and you is that and all to them. So you, not singular, you all are sent as well. You are sent ones. As you go to live as sent ones, may the beauty of Jesus shine in your eyes. May the love of Jesus shine in your actions. May the wisdom of Jesus shine in your words. May the grace of Jesus flow from your heart 
into the lives of the people you interact with so that they walk away going, what was that? I want some more of that. Where can I find 